What's up, everyone? You are listening to the debut episode of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast on the Boy Wonder Press, and I'm your host, Brian's Comics underscore one. And in this episode, we are going to go over what this podcast will cover, and then we will switch gears to talking about Osama Tezuka's Captain Ken. I'm really excited about this project. I've always talked about doing a podcast, and actually, I've been talking about doing a podcast. This podcast and several episodes of The Flashcast on Earth 2, um, where I cover episodes of The Flash. So what this podcast is going to cover, basically, is characters, heroes, villains, or even anti-heroes in comics, novels, manga, TV, or anime. And basically, we're just going to go over simply um, the, the creation behind the character, what the character is about, their history, um, why the character is so appealing, and there may be some other things in there, too. In future episodes, I do plan on having guests, whether it's fans or hopefully in the not too distant future, maybe even creators behind the characters or people who've worked on these characters before, just to have their insight on what the characters like to them and why they find the characters so appealing. But I want to make it mostly more fan centric too, so that way it's for the it's for you, the fans, who are listening to this right now. So, um. My inspiration behind this whole podcast was talking to my sister where we actually talk about deep things, including comic books and how they're actually real. And recently, even Bill Maher, um, he's this comic, but to me, you know, he he really, um, he really stepped in it by talking, you know, really bad about Stan Lee and about comic book fans in general. But, you know, he basically said that, you know, comic books are not real literature. Um, they're not they're they're not for grownups They're actually for kids. But I think comic books are for everybody and just pop culture in general is for everybody. And they are as real as they get. I mean, they actually are a, a mirror to the real world. And comic book characters actually go through a hell of a lot like we do, even much more so. And they have our they have their fears. They have their um hopes and dreams and all that so you know i thought you know you know i thought that you know this would be the that would be one of the inspirations to this podcast along of course what my sister and i talk about we go we talk about things on a deep spiritual level she even agreed with me on the whole bill maher thing so thank you you know thank you um says for you know (laughs) getting me to do this podcast and you're at least feeling you know the passion in my head to do it and also I got the idea from my buddy Jay where I, you know, he basically runs the Earth 2 podcast, um, the Flashcast, and he basically called me a comic book profiler when we were talking about comic book, you know, we were talking about like certain characters and I thought it was really funny and amazing. And also, of course, um, why I learned in UC Riverside, um, for you Highlanders out there, whoop, whoop, represent. I mean, I majored in creative writing and, you know, as I delved into it, um, I originally wanted to go to school for biological sciences, but... After um, not liking the medical field and <laughs> basically not um, not being any good at science, I decided to give creating writing a shot, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, I actually learned under a lot of amazing teachers. Um, just a shout out to some of them: Goldberry Long, Tom Lutz, <laughs> Leila Lalami. You know who you are. I mean, and Juan Felipe and Dwight Yates, really amazing teachers, and Julie. You know. Jackie Bank, I mean, Brent Oglesby, I mean, I could almost name them all. <laughs> and, you know, they just, you know, and Claire Hoffman, too, who's a um, Rolling Stones journalist. I mean, they 
all that I learned from them is pretty much all that I'm pouring into this podcast and really dissecting the characters and trying my very best to do that because, I mean, I want to also show fans that these characters are just like us. I mean, whether they have abilities, whether they're even not human, they are just like us. They have hopes and dreams, you know, likes, dislikes, all that stuff. They're just as human as we are. So, I mean, that's why I hope to bring to this podcast. So moving on um, to the story of Captain Ken. Now, Captain Ken um, was written, was created by an animator by the name of Osamu Tezuka, who was actually a little bit of a biography on uh, Mr. Tezuka. He was born on March 11, 1928 in Toyonaka, Osaka, Japan. He graduated with a medical degree um, from Osaka University and was originally stated to become a doctor. See, kind of similar to me wanting to going to medicine but then that fell through but i mean he at least he was probably he was good at stuff because he got his medical degree whereas with me i wasn't so good at you know chemistry i mean i got a big fat f in chemistry so there you have it but despite getting his degree unlike yours truly um he devoted his time to manga um, comics and anime and became one of japan's beloved anime creators um, he has several works that some of you, especially if you're an anime fan, may know. Astro Boy, Phoenix, Jungle Emperor, Blackjack, Buddha, Princess Knight. Um, really amazing works. And he also incorporated his whole star system where he repeatedly um, uses reoccurring characters from several of his works. Um, and like Captain Ken also, which he which actually debuted in the Shohin Weekly Sunday in the 1960s which was basically like a Japanese newspaper in the in their kind of version of the funnies. Or not the funnies, but it was more like a comic section. You get what I mean. So the star system was a roster of recurring characters, like I said, in his comics. And notable characters that you see throughout all of his works, or most of his works, I should say, are Lamp, which is the villain. He is also a villain in Captain Ken, Hameg, um, who in Captain Ken, he plays the Martian mining facility manager, um, which is where they enslave the Martians, and Rock Holmes, um, who actually plays Mamoru, who's one of the main characters in the story, and really important one, too. And also the, a random Hayu Tensigui, I think it's called. It's like a sort of a mini pig that randomly appears in all, almost all of Tezuka's works and just breaks fourth wall and hilariously has this smoke coming out of its snout. Really funny stuff. But, I mean, I thought, you know, the star system was really one of the unique things about Tezuka's works. And, um, and basically his animation, too. I mean, I can see some of the Disney influences there, too, though, but, you know, it's mostly Japanese-centric. Um, so, I mean, Osama Tezuka did, um, he passed away in February 9th of 1989 due to stomach cancer, but he was for, he forever be immortalized as the godfather of um, anime, and a museum was even opened in his honor in February of 1994 in Takarazuka, where he was actually raised as a kid growing up. So, on to Captain Ken. So, Captain Ken is a story that takes place in a futuristic Mars, where it's actually colonized by the human beings. 
And the reason, and what's really interesting thing, what's really interesting is just that there have been several articles for many years. I'm talking about Mars becoming a settlement, even in Cowboy Bebop, you know, Mars has become a settlement. It's actually become more Earth, you know, more like Earth. I mean, due to the terraforming. And, you know, I mean, this has been so many articles and so many media talking about Mars becoming a home to, you know, human civilization. And you even heard stories about Elon Musk planning on sending a, a ship or a spaceship to Mars and eventually finding a settlement. I mean, really interesting stuff. I mean, again, it just shows, it just comes to show how, it, sh it comes to show how, it just shows how manga, comics, sorry, I can't kind of talk there. I need to drink a little bit of water, but give me one second. That's better. So anyway, that's how I was saying. It just comes to show how real comics and manga are. I mean, it's as real as it gets. I mean, Mars. Hello. <laughs> so... It takes place in the Mars, and here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing about this Mars and Captain Ken. The Mars and Captain Ken is more like the American Old West. I mean, you have saloons, you have people dressing up like cowboys, riding horses or mechanical horses, which I find really amazing. But there's a bit of a dark side too, because um, what it is is just that the settlement actually started with. Um, the humans actually settling into Mars and the first humans to do that were the group that, you know, the group being the Americans. I mean, us Americans actually <laughs> settle into Mars though, but what happens is that when the Martians come, they're obviously aliens who come in droves greeting the Americans. I mean, they just basically, it's a massacre. The Americans shoot them down and basically more humans come over and, and all the humans start enslaving the Martians and driving them away from their homes and building basically new settlements that mirrored the old West. So everyone's dressing up like a cowboy. Everyone's actually getting a mechanical horse. I mean, it's a very um, interesting setting. And then on top of that, they establish a, gov a dictatorial government run by the, by a president who um, actually is named um, president slurry, who actually is the ultimate villain in the story named Napoleon. So, really um, interesting setup here. So, in the beginning, um, Captain Ken um, is seen. It, this actually starts out with a little backstory to how the human settlement of Mars was founded, and um, then it goes over to Mamoru um, Hoshino, Rock Holmes. He's actually going to go pick up someone by the name of Ken. But then it turns out that he's getting surrounded by the Moro tribe, which is a tribe of Martians that want to go after him and kill him because, you know, obviously he's a human. And it's been a human and Martian war for several years now due to what happened. But luckily, um, someone saves him and it's this weird kid. I mean, he's a cowboy who rides a, like, like you know, Mamoru who rides a mechanical horse named Captain Ken. And he's like, wait a minute. So you're Ken. He's like, yep, I'm Ken. Because in his mind, he's saying that, okay, there's a guy, there's someone by the name of Ken who's coming over to stay with me and my family. So before you can get any more answers, Captain Ken rides off into the sunset. I mean, pun intended for, cow for cowboy westerns out there. You know I mean? That's what always happens in the cowboy western. 
So, Mamoru comes home and he actually finds um, a girl in his house who looks exactly like Captain Ken, but her name is Ken too. So this is the Ken that he was actually supposed to go pick up because originally he went out of the ranch, I forgot to mention, to go pick up Ken. But then he got sidetracked by the Moro tribe. So you, you can see where this is going. So basically, Ken, the girl, looks exactly like Captain Ken. Her name's spelled actually K-E-N-N, so it's with two N's. And then throughout the story, I mean, it gets the reader guessing, and Tezuka did a good job with that. He gets the reader guessing if these two are in fact the same person, because they seem like they're the same person, because they are several instances where they appear in the same, you know, they appear in the same place. But of course, you know, again, Captain Ken's a boy, Ken's a girl. And even with the um, villain of this, one of the villains of the story um, being Mayor Devon and his son Double, they think that, or at least Mayor Devon thinks that, you know, maybe these two are the same because I've seen them. They look exactly alike. So um, I thought that was a pretty interesting twist. But when the real twist comes, when um, it's discovered that. Ken um, actually is Captain Ken's mother, which is the reason why they look so much alike. And then at first they thought that maybe he's a brother and sister or maybe they're cousins, but no. Ken is actually Captain Ken's mother. And then later on in, in the story, Captain Ken asks to explain to Mamoru, who's initially distrustful of Captain Ken, that of the story of how he got to Earth... And basically he was a time traveler and wanted to save his mom from getting into of you know getting affected by the solar radi- radiation it's a really sad story or sad backstory because you know future ken is wrapped up in bandages her body's deteriorating and ken captain ken whose real name is kenji is just wrecked he doesn't know what to do but then he discovers that you know what maybe i can travel back in time to go save my mom who got you know who was actually an eventual casualty of the human martian war because he learns that his mom got affected by the solar radiation from a solar bomb that the humans actually used against the Martians, and it affected almost everyone, including her. So that's why he travels back in time. Um, he actually uses his horse named Arrow, which I thought was really amazing. It's an amazing character, too, because it's a mechanical horse that has like all these capabilities. It heals. It, it can heal Ken when he's hurt. It can actually talk to him. Um, it's used as a voice recorder. I mean, it's like the Batmobile. It's like a cross between Zorro's horse, Tornado, and the Batmobile. Just a really sophisticated mechanical horse. And he even uses a horse to actually fly to Mars, which is really amazing. And, you know, it just. The story ends, though, with um, Ken actually, you know, wanting to. sacrificing himself to save his mother, but he never tells his mother that he is her son from the future. He cryptically tells her that, you know, if you ever have a child, um, be sure to, you know, if it, you know, if you ever have a child, if it pleases you, name him Kenji, his real name. And his mom's, you know, his mom is like, well, what are you talking about? Like, come back. Like, I don't want you to go say, you know, sacrifice yourself. Like, come on. Like, you're my friend. Because he actually did befriend her. He saved her several times, even from, you know, when the Hoshino Ranch, Momoru's home was burning down. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much, you know, he forms that bomb with his mom and he sees her one last time before he sacrifices himself. 
you know, with Arrow and a Martian friend of his by the name of Papillion to save his mother and basically Mars because a much deeper meaning is just that he, here's another thing too. Um, that's the reason why he um, is a pacifist too. And he, he's in a want war between the Martians and the humans is because the love of his mother he doesn't want any war because he knew that, you know, his mom was affected by that. Which brings me to what he really stands for. And I'm just going to go on a limb and just say that he's a, you know, the love of his mother make pretty much makes Captain Ken who he is. It makes him this amazing character and it makes him more harmonious and peaceful because he wants peace between humans and Martians. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't really like violence. Only, he only becomes violent when he has to, but he doesn't kill. He never, he never would hurt a fly. I mean, he would hurt people, but not kill them. I mean, you see this several times in several of the comics. Um, I mean, comics. In several of the scenes that he actually, where he's dueling um, or where he's fighting, especially fighting against a villain, Lamp, which is, part, he's part of the Tezuka star system. And Lamp, who's usually seen wearing glasses, but in this case, he's dressed as a gunslinger wearing an eye patch. So in the, in the first bout, he... Captain Ken's wounded by um, Lamp, but um, in the sec in which prompts Ken to actually learn the Martian's shooting style, which is um, a shooting style that's only a few people in Mars actually know, including um, Larry the Reaper. I want to say it's Larry the Reaper, and then there is um, a Pointer Dexter. I think his name is. If I'm not, no Sh Pointer Shepherd. That's his name, Pointer Dexter. I must be thinking Point Dexter, but. Pointer Shepherd, so they know the Martian shooting style, but actually Ken learns it from Larry the Reaper after killing him, you know, but unintentionally because Ken didn't want it, doesn't like to kill, but he learns that from um, him and even then he, um, he tries his very best not to kill anyone. I mean, he wants to preserve life as much as possible, which... To me, leads um, him to having a sense of justice. Like he wants justice for all, especially for people in the town of Hades, which actually this I forgot to mention takes place at. And you know he's all about forgiveness too. I mean, he forgives his enemies. Even particularly, he forgave um, Double, which who is actually the son of the villain Mayor Hades or Mayor Devon, excuse me. And there's a scene where um, the mayor's son's about to be killed because the mayor's corrupt and the mayor's son's about to be killed by the Martians. But despite all the crap that this um, troublemaker did, he, Captain Ken actually spares his life and tells the Martians to free him. And since he made friends with the Martians, the Martians actually grant him, you know, grant him his request and free, and free Double, which in turn Double becomes more becomes more of a redeeming character and in the beginning he's just seen as this bully he beats up mamoru and he humiliates people but ultimately he comes to realize his wrongs and he even turns his dad in and says that you know what dad you need to you know right your wrongs like i did because we've done some bad things we need to own up to it there's just no way out of it no other way around it and, you know, so basically, you know, Captain Ken, you know, actually also tells Momoru to forgive um, Double for what he did. Because Double actually found out that 
his father's men actually killed Mulberu's father during a shootout um, between the Martians and the Hoshino ranchers. So, I mean, he's a very forgiving character, and he has respect for other races. I mean, including especially his friendship with Papillion, the Martian, is actually seen as a sign that he is very open-minded. I mean, he's, again, it goes hand-in-hand with his harmony and his um, dream for peace between the humans and the Martians. And with Papillon, I think she's seen as, um, she kind of has a crush on Ken. She kind of has some feelings for him, though, but Ken's kind of like, oh. <laughs> I mean, in a sense that he's like, because um, he kind of probably feels for her, too. Like, he's kind of nervous. Like, there's this one scene where he, she actually kind of hugs him. And he's kind of blushing a little bit. He's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and Captain Ken got some game there. But anyway, so there's that, too. So, I mean, switching gears here, I mean, kind of going hand-in-hand hand with um, what he stands for. I mean, I think Captain Ken actually shares several traits with, um, you know, like Superman because he's always selfless. He wants to do the right thing. Um, he believes in giving people a second chance. And, you know, with Lone Ranger, having a sense of just justice in general. And, of course, having an awesome horse. And being a cowboy, a gunslinger, but a pacifistic gunslinger at that. And of course, you know, I mean, oh, another one I want to mention is Jesus Christ, because, I mean, Captain Ken also preaches love and forgiveness and, you know, giving people second chances, like Superman, too, but, and also for the fact that he has love for his mother, too. I mean, his relationship with his mother, Captain Ken's relationship with his mother is really similar to Jesus's relationship with the Virgin Mary, his mother. So I thought, like, that might have been, you know, I thought that was like maybe might have been a influence that Tezuka probably might have incorporated, or maybe he didn't. But whether he intended to or not, I mean, I saw I saw a lot of the parallels between him and Jesus, and just the fact that he especially went to go sacrifice himself to actually save Mars from the solar bomb, which actually goes off, um, not only to save his mother, but to save all of human and Martian kind. Just like Jesus dying on the cross for, you know, many people, like that sacrifice, you know? So I thought it was pretty noble. So right now I'm going to um, go ahead and, and go over to some closing thoughts on Captain Ken. And just two really popped up to me. And one of them was this thing is Mamoru Ken's father. Because in the end, Mamoru, keep in mind, he knows about Ken being Captain Ken's mother, and he even tells Ken, like, you know, I was wondering if you would consider me as, you know, a possible husband, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure any child you have would be just like Captain Ken. And it's interesting that he mentioned that, because I kind of wonder if, even in the original timeline, if Momoru was Captain Ken's father, because Captain Ken one time told Momoru that he didn't really know his father, he never saw his face, um, he did mentioned that he was a casualty during the Martian human war. And this was after when, I think this was around after when Momru's father died and got shot. So, I mean, that's the thought that came into my head. And another thought I had was just that would the Martians and humans really truly coexist? I mean, it's pretty much assumed that they probably did due to Captain Ken's sacrifice and his heroic deeds along with Papillon because she goes with him too. So they sacrifice each other. So it was like a, a symbol of humans and Martians actually, actually working to, together to achieve peace. 
So if Tezuka was especially still alive and he thought about doing maybe a third volume of Captain Ken is split in two volumes, like I would like to see that. To see like a unity between humans and Martians alike. And let's see, so just to wrap it up, um, that's going to do it for this pot debut episode of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast on the Boy Wonder Press. Um, just don't forget to so, you know don't forget to subscribe to my Twitter at Brian's Comics underscore one and at the Boy Wonder Press. You can also check out my blog at theboywonderpress.blog where um, basically I just blog about um, stuff that I'm gonna maybe podcast about. I mean it's just started right now, um, so I'm gonna be putting a lot of stuff there. I've already blogged about a review of Batman the White Knight. Um, so, I mean, we're going to be doing, I mean, I'm going to be doing a, little, a bit of that here and there. You might see some blogs about comics I read. I mean, I'm planning to actually read The Flash War, which I think is a, going to be a really cool, st- it sounds like a really cool story. And I'm pretty sure it's more than just about, you know, who's the, really the fastest man alive, or should I say the fastest Flash alive. So, that's going to be a pretty cool one. And in the next episode of this podcast, um, of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast, I will be covering and discussing the current and the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest, bestest Robin of all time, Damian Wayne, the son of the Batman and the son of the Demon's Head, Talia al Ghul. You don't want to miss this. And just remember, people, take care and make life ever so awesome. Peace. What's up, everyone? You are listening to the debut episode of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast on the Boy Wonder Press, and I'm your host, Brian's Comics underscore one. And in this episode, we are going to go over what this podcast will cover, and then we will switch gears to talking about Osama Tezuka's Captain Ken. I'm really excited about this project. I've always talked about doing a podcast, and actually, I've been talking about doing a podcast. This podcast and several episodes of the flash cast on earth 2 um where i cover episodes of the flash so what this podcast is going to cover basically is characters heroes villains or even anti-heroes in comics novels manga tv or anime and basically we're just going to go over simply um the, the creation behind the character what the character is about their history um why the character is so appealing and there may be some other things in there too in future episodes, I do plan on having guests, whether it's fans or hopefully in the not too distant future, maybe even creators behind the characters or people who've worked on these characters before, just to have their insight on what the characters like to them and why they find the characters so appealing. But I want to make it mostly more fan-centric too, so that way it's for the it's for you, the fans, who are listening to this right now. So, um my inspiration behind this whole podcast was talking to my sister where we actually talk about deep things including comic books and how they're actually real and recently even bill maher um he's his comic but to me you know he he really um he really stepped in it by talking you know really bad about stan lee and about comic book fans in general but you know, he basically said that you know, comic books are not real literature. Um, they're not. They're they're not for grown-ups. They're actually for kids. But I think comic books are for everybody, and just pop culture in general is for everybody. And 
they are as real as they get. I mean, they actually are a, a mirror to the real world, and comic book characters actually go through a hell of a lot, like we do, even much more so. And they have our, they have their fears, they have their um, hopes and dreams, and all of that. So, you know, I thought, you know, you know, I thought that, you know, this would be the, that would be one of the inspirations to this podcast, along, of course, what my sister and I talk about. We go, we talk about things on a deep spiritual level. She even agreed with me on the whole Bill Maher thing. So thank you. You know, thank you, um, says for, you know, <laughs> getting me to do this podcast and you're at least feeling, you know, the passion in my head to do it. And also I got the idea from my buddy Jay, where I, you know, he basically runs the Earth 2 podcast, um, the Flashcast, and he basically called me a comic book profiler when we were talking about comic book, you know, we were talking about like certain characters and I thought it was really funny and amazing. And also, of course, um, why I learned in UC Riverside, um, for you Highlanders out there, whoop, whoop, represent. I mean, I majored in creative writing and, you know, as I delved into it, um, I originally wanted to go to school for biological sciences, but after um, not liking the medical field and <laughs> basically not, um, not being any good at science, I decided to give creating writing a shot and I actually enjoyed it. Um, I actually learned under a lot of amazing teachers. Um, just a shout out to some of them, Goldberry Long, Tom Lutz, <laughs> Leila Lalami, you know who you are, I mean, and Juan Felipe and Dwight Yates, really amazing teachers and Julie, you know, Jackie Bank, I mean, Brent Oglesby, I mean, I could almost name them all. <laughs> and, you know, they just, you know, and Claire Hoffman too, who's a um, Rolling Stones journalist. I mean, they, all that I learned from them is pretty much all that I'm pouring into this podcast and really dissecting the characters and trying my very best to do that because, I mean, I want to also show fans that these characters are just like us. I mean, whether they have abilities, whether they're even not human, they are just like us. They have hopes and dreams, you know, likes, dislikes, all that stuff. They're just as human as we are. So, I mean, that's why I hope to bring to this podcast. So moving on um, to the story of Captain Ken. Now, Captain Ken um, was written, was created by an animator by the name of Osamu Tezuka, who was actually a little bit of a biography on uh, Mr. Tezuka. He was born on March 11, 1928 in Toyonaka, Osaka, Japan. He graduated with a medical degree um, from Osaka University and was originally stated to become a doctor. See, kind of similar to me wanting to going to medicine but then that fell through but i mean he at least he was probably he was good at stuff because he got his medical degree whereas with me i wasn't so good at you know chemistry i mean i got a big fat f in chemistry so there you have it but despite getting his degree unlike yours truly um he devoted his time to manga um, comics and anime and became one of japan's beloved anime creators um, he has several works that some of you, especially if you're an anime fan, may know. Astro Boy, Phoenix, Jungle Emperor, Blackjack, Buddha, Princess Knight. Um, really amazing works. And he also incorporated his whole star system where he repeatedly um, uses reoccurring characters from several of his works. Um, and like Captain Ken also, which he which actually debuted in the Shohin Weekly Sunday in the 1960s which was basically like a Japanese newspaper in, the, in their kind of version of the funnies. 
or not the funniest, but it was more like a comic section. You get what I mean. So the star system was a roster of recurring characters, like I said, in his comics, and notable characters that you see throughout all of his works, or most of his works, I should say, are Lamp, which is the villain. He is also a villain in Captain Ken, Hemeg, um, who in Captain Ken, he plays the Martian mining facility manager, um, which is where they enslave the Martians, and Rock Holmes, um, who actually plays Mamoru, who's one of the main characters in the story. And really important one too and also the, a random hayu tensegui i think it's called it's like a sort of a mini pig that randomly appears in all almost all of tezuka's works and just breaks fourth wall and hilariously has this smoke coming out of its snout really funny stuff but i mean i thought you know the star system was really one of the unique things about tezuka's works and um and basically his animation too i mean i can see some of the disney influences there too though but you know it's mostly japanese um centric so i mean osama tezuka did um he passed away in february 9th of 1989 due to stomach cancer but he was for you forever be immortalized as the godfather of um, anime and a museum was even opened in his honor in february of 1994 in Takarazuka, where he was actually raised as a kid growing up. So, on to Captain Ken. So, Captain Ken is a story that takes place in a futuristic Mars where it's actually colonized by the human beings. And the reason, and what's really interesting thing, what's really interesting is just that there have been several articles for many years. I'm talking about Mars becoming a settlement, even in Cowboy Bebop, you know. Mars has become a settlement. It's actually become more Earth, you know, more like Earth. I mean, due to the terraforming. And, you know, I mean, this has been so many articles and so many media talking about Mars becoming a home to, you know, human civilization. And you even heard stories about Elon Musk planning on sending a, a ship or a spaceship to Mars and eventually finding a settlement. I mean, really interesting stuff. I mean, again, it just shows, it just comes to show how, it, sh- it comes to show how, it just shows how manga, comics, sorry, I can't kind of talk there, I need to drink a little bit of water, but give me one second. That's better. So anyway, that's how I was saying, it just comes to show how real comics and manga are. I mean, it's as real as it gets. I mean... Mars. Hello. <laughs> so it takes place in the Mars, and here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing about this Mars and Captain Ken. The Mars and Captain Ken is more like the American Old West. I mean, you have saloons, you have people dressing up like cowboys, riding horses or mechanical horses, which I find really amazing. But there's a bit of a dark side too, because um, what it is is just that. The settlement actually started with um, the humans actually settling into Mars. And the first humans to do that were the group that, you know, the group being the Americans. I mean, us Americans actually <laughs> settled into Mars, though. But what happens is that when the Martians come, they're obviously aliens who come in droves greeting the Americans. I mean, they just basically, it's a massacre. The Americans shoot them down. And basically more humans come over and, and all the humans start enslaving the Martians and 
driving them away from their homes and building basically new settlements that mirrored the old west so everyone's dressing up like a cowboy everyone's actually getting a mechanical horse i mean it's a very um interesting setting and then on top of that they establish a a dictatorial government run by the by a president who um actually is named um president slurry who actually is the ultimate villain in the story named napoleon so really um interesting setup here so in the beginning um captain ken um is seen this actually starts out with a little backstory to how the human settlement of mars was founded and um then it goes over to mamoru um hoshino rock holmes he's actually going to go pick up someone by the name of ken but then it turns out that he's getting surrounded by the moro tribe which is a tribe of martians that want to go after him and kill him because you know obviously he's a human and it's been a human and martian war for several years now due to what happened but luckily um someone saves him and it's his weird kid i mean he's a cowboy who rides a me- like like you know mamaru who rides a mechanical horse named captain ken and he's like wait a minute so you're ken and he's like yep i'm ken because in his mind he's saying that okay there's a guy there's someone by the name of ken who's coming over to stay with me and my family so before you can get any more answers captain ken rides off into the sunset i mean pun intended for cow for cowboy westerns out there you know i mean that's what always happens in the cowboy western so mamaru comes home and he actually finds um a girl in his house who looks exactly like captain ken but her name is ken too so this is the ken that he was actually supposed to go pick up because originally he went out of the ranch i forgot to mention to go pick up ken but then he got sidetracked by the moro tribe so you, you can see where this is going. So basically, Ken, the girl, looks exactly like Captain Ken. Her name's spelled actually K-E-N-N, so it's with two N's. And then throughout the story, I mean, it gets the reader guessing, and Tezuka did a good job with that. He gets the reader guessing if these two are in fact the same person, because they seem like they're the same person, because they are several instances where they appear in the same, t- you know, they appear in the same place but of course you know again captain ken's a boy ken's a girl and even with the um villain of this one of the villains of the story um being mayor devon and his son double they think that or at least mayor devon thinks that you know maybe these two are the same because i i've seen them they look exactly alike so um i thought that was a pretty interesting twist but when the real twist comes when um it's discovered that ken um actually is captain ken's mother which is the reason why they look so much alike and then at first they thought that maybe he's a brother and sister or maybe they're cousins but no ken is actually captain ken's mother and then later on in, in the story captain ken has to explain to mamaru who's initially distrustful of Captain Ken that of the story of how he got to Earth. And basically he was a time traveler and wanted to save his mom from getting into of, you know, getting affected by the solar radi- radiation. It's a really sad story. Or sad backstory because, you know, future Ken is wrapped up in bandages, her body's deteriorating, and Ken Captain Ken, whose real name is Kenji, 
is just wrecked. He doesn't know what to do, but then he discovers that, you know what, maybe I can travel back in time to go save my mom, who got, you know, who was actually an eventual casualty of the human Martian war, because he learns that his mom got affected by the solar radiation from a solar bomb that the humans actually used against the Martians, and it affected almost everyone, including her. So that's why he travels back in time. Um, he actually uses his horse named Arrow, which I thought was really amazing. It's an amazing character too, because it's a mechanical horse that has like all these capabilities. It heals, it, it can heal Ken when he's hurt. It can actually talk to him. Um, it's used as a voice recorder. I mean, it's like the Batmobile. It's like a cross between Zoro's horse, Tornado, and the Batmobile. Just a really sophisticated mechanical horse. And he even uses a horse to actually fly to Mars, which is really amazing. And, you know, it just... The story ends, though, with um, Ken actually, you know, wanting to... Sacrificing himself to save his mother. But he never tells his mother that he is her son from the future. He cryptically tells her that, you know, if you ever have a child, um, be sure to, you know, if it, you know, if you ever have a child, if it pleases you, name him Kenji. His real name. And his mom's, you know, his mom is like, well, what are you talking about? Like, come back. Like, I don't want you to go say, you know, sacrifice yourself. Like, come on. Like, you're my friend. Because he actually did befriend her. He saved her several times, even from, you know, when the Hoshino Ranch, Momoru's home was burning down. So, um, yeah, so that's pretty much, you know, he forms that bond with his mom and he sees her one last time before he sacrifices himself, you know, with Arrow and a Martian friend of his by the name of Papillion to save his mother and basically Mars because a much deeper meaning is just that he, here's another thing too, um, that's the reason why he, um, is a pacifist too and he's in a want war between the martians and the humans is because the love of his mother he doesn't want any war because he knew that you know his mom was affected by that which brings me to what he really stands for and i'm just gonna go on a limb and just say that he's a you know the love of his mother make pretty much makes captain ken who he is it makes him this amazing character and it makes him more harmonious and peaceful because he wants peace between humans and Martians. He doesn't, he doesn't like, he doesn't really like violence. Only, he only becomes violent when he has to. But he doesn't kill. He never, he never would hurt a fly. I mean, he would hurt people, but not kill them. I mean, you see this several times in several of the comics. Um, I mean, comics, in several of the scenes that he actually, where he's dueling. Um, or where he's fighting, especially fighting against a villain Lamp, which is part, he's part of the Tezuka star system. And Lamp, who's usually seen wearing glasses, but in this case, he's dressed as a gunslinger wearing an eye patch. So in the, in the first bout, he Captain Ken's wounded by um, Lamp, but um, in the second, which prompts Ken to actually learn the Martian's shooting style, which is. Um, a shooting style that's only a few people in Mars actually know, including um, Larry the Reaper. I want to say it's Larry the Reaper, and then there's um, a Pointer Dexter, I think his name is. If I'm not... No, Sh- Pointer Shepherd. That's his name, Pointer Dexter. I must be thinking Point Dexter, but... Pointer Shepherd. So they know the Martian shooting style. But actually, Ken learns it from Larry the Reaper after killing him. You know, but unintentionally because Ken didn't want it, doesn't like to kill. 
but he learns that from um, him and even then he um he tries his very best not to kill anyone i mean he wants to preserve life as much as possible which to me leads um, him to having a sense of justice like he wants justice for all especially for people in the town of hades which actually this i forgot to mention takes place at and you know he's all about forgiveness too i mean he forgives his enemies even particularly he forgave um double which who is actually the son of the villain mayor hades or mayor devon excuse me and there's a scene where um the mayor's son's about to be killed because the mayor's corrupt and the mayor's son's about to be killed by the martians but despite all the crap that this um troublemaker did he captain ken actually spares his life and tells the martians to free him and since he made friends with the martians the martians actually grant him you know grant him his request and free and free double which in turn double becomes more he becomes more of a redeeming character and in the beginning he's just seen as his bully he beats up mamoru and he humiliates people but ultimately he comes to realize his wrongs and he even turns his dad in and says that you know what dad you need to you know right your wrongs like i did because we've done some bad things we need to own up to it there's just no way out of it no other way around it and you know so basically you know captain ken you know actually also tells momoru to forgive um double for what he did because double actually found out that his father's men actually killed momoru's father during a shootout um, between the martians and the hoshino ranchers so i mean he's a very forgiving character and he has respect for other races i mean including especially his friendship with papillion the martian is actually seen as a sign that he is very open-minded and he, he's again it goes hand in hand with his harmony on his um, dream for peace between the humans and the martians and with papillion i think she's seen as um she kind of has a crush on ken she kind of has some feelings for him though but ken's kind of like oh <laughs> i mean in the sense that he's like um because he kind of probably feels for her too like he's kind of nervous like there's this one scene where he, she actually kind of hugs him and he's kind of blushing a little bit he's like oh wow <laughs> and captain ken got some game there but anyway so there's that too so i mean switching gears here i mean kind of going hand in hand with um what he stands for i mean i think captain ken actually shares several traits with um you know like superman because he's always selfless he wants to do the right thing um he believes in giving people a second chance and you know with lone ranger having a sense of just justice in general and of course having an awesome horse and being a cowboy a gunslinger but a pacifistic gunslinger at that and of course, you know, I mean, oh, another one I want to mention is Jesus Christ, because I mean, Captain Ken also preaches love and forgiveness and, you know, giving people second chances like Superman too, but, and also for the fact that he has love for his mother too. I mean, his relationship with his mother, Captain Ken's relationship with his mother is really similar to Jesus's relationship with the Virgin Mary, his mother. So I thought like, that might have been you know i thought that was like maybe might have been a influence that tezuka probably might have incorporated or maybe he didn't but whether he intended to or not i mean i saw i saw a lot of the parallels between him and jesus and just the fact that he especially went to go sacrifice himself to actually 
save Mars from the solar bomb, which actually goes off, um, not only to save his mother, but to save all of human and Martian kind. Just like Jesus dying on the cross for, you know, many people, like that sacrifice, you know? So I thought it was pretty noble. So right now I'm going to um, go ahead and, and go over to some closing thoughts on Captain Ken. And just two really popped up to me. And one of them was this thing is Mamoru Ken's father. Because in the end, Mamoru, keep in mind, he knows about Ken being Captain Ken's mother. And he even tells Ken, like, you know, I was wondering if you would consider me as, you know... A possible husband because I mean I'm pretty sure any child you have would be just like Captain Ken and it's interesting that he mentioned that because I kind of wonder if even in the original timeline if Momoru was Captain Ken's father because Captain Ken one time told Momoru that he didn't really know his father he never saw his face um, he did mention that he was a casualty during the Martian human war and this was after when I think this was around after when Momoru's father died and got shot so I mean that's the thought that came into my head and another thought I had was just that would the Martians and humans really truly coexist I mean it's pretty much assumed that they probably did due to Captain Ken's sacrifice and his heroic deeds along with Papillon because she goes with him too so they sacrifice each other so it was like a a symbol of humans and Martians actually actually working to, together to achieve peace so if Tezuka was especially still alive and he thought about doing maybe a third volume of Captain Ken is split in two volumes, like I would like to see that. To see like a unity between humans and Martians alike. And let's see, so just to wrap it up, um, that's going to do it for this pot debut episode of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast on the Boy Wonder Press. Um, just don't forget to so, you know don't forget to subscribe to my Twitter at Brian's Comics underscore one and at the Boy Wonder Press. You can also check out my blog at theboywonderpress.blog where um, basically I just blog about um, stuff that I'm gonna maybe podcast about. I mean it's just started right now, um, so I'm gonna be putting a lot of stuff there. I've already blogged about a review of Batman the White Knight. Um, so, I mean, we're going to be doing, I mean, I'm going to be doing a, l- a bit of that here and there. You might see some blogs about comics I read. I mean, I'm planning to actually read The Flash War, which I think is going to be a really cool, st- it sounds like a really cool story. And I'm pretty sure it's more than just about, you know, who's the, really the fastest man alive, or should I say the fastest Flash alive. So, that's going to be a pretty cool one. And in the next episode of this podcast, um, of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast, I will be covering and discussing the current and the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest, bestest Robin of all time, Damian Wayne, the son of the Batman and the son of the Demon's Head, Talia al Ghul. You don't want to miss this. And just remember, people, take care and make life ever so awesome. Peace. What's up, everyone? You are listening to the debut episode of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast on the Boy Wonder Press, and I'm your host, Brian's Comics underscore one. And in this episode, we are going to go over what this podcast will cover, and then we will switch gears to talking about Osama Tezuka's Captain Ken.
I'm really excited about this project. I've always talked about doing a podcast, and actually I've been talking about doing a podcast, this podcast in several episodes of The Flashcast on Earth 2, um, where I cover episodes of The Flash. So what this podcast is going to cover, basically, is characters, heroes, villains, or even anti-heroes in comics, novels, manga, TV, or anime. And basically, we're just going to go over simply um, the, the creation behind the character, what the character is about, their history, um, why the character is so appealing, and there may be some other things in there, too. But in future episodes, I do plan on having guests, whether it's fans or hopefully in the not too distant future maybe even creators behind the characters or people who've worked on these characters before just to have their insight on what the characters like to them and why they find the character so appealing but i want to make it mostly more fan centric too so that way it's for the it's for you the fans who are listening to this right now so um my inspiration behind this whole podcast was talking to my sister where we actually talk about deep things including comic books and how they're actually real and recently, even Bill Maher, um, he's his com- comic, but to me, you know, he, re- he really, um, he really stepped in it by talking, you know, really bad about Stan Lee and about comic book fans in general. But, you know, he basically said that, you know, comic books are not real literature. Um, they're not, they're, they're not for grownups or actually for kids, but I think comic books are for everybody and just pop culture in general is for everybody. And they are as real as they get. I mean, they actually are a, a mirror to the real world and comic book characters actually go through a hell of a lot like we do, even much more so. And they have our, they have their fears. They have their, um, hopes and dreams and all that so you know i thought you know you know i thought that you know this would be the that would be one of the inspirations to this podcast along of course what my sister and i talk about we go we talk about things on a deep spiritual level she even agreed with me on the whole bill maher thing so thank you you know thank you um says for you know (laughs) getting me to do this podcast and you're at least feeling you know the passion in my head to do it and also I got the idea from my buddy Jay, where I, you know, he basically runs the Earth 2 podcast, um, the Flashcast, and he basically called me a comic book profiler when we were talking about comic book, you know, we were talking about like certain characters, and I thought it was really funny and amazing. And also, of course, um, why I learned in UC Riverside, um, for you Highlanders out there, whoop, whoop, represent. I mean, I majored in creative writing, and, you know, as I delved into it, um, I originally wanted to go to school for biological sciences, but after um not liking the medical field and <laughs> basically not um not being any good at science i decided to give creating writing a shot and i actually enjoyed it um i actually learned under a lot of amazing teachers um just a shout out to some of them goldberry long tom lutz <laughs> leila lalami you know who you are i mean and juan felipe and dwight yates really amazing teachers and julie you know Jackie Bank, I mean, Brent Oglesby, I mean, I could almost name them all. <laughs> and, you know, they just, you know, and Claire Hoffman, too, who's a um, Rolling Stones journalist. I mean, they, all that I learned from them is pretty much all that I'm pouring into this podcast and really dissecting the characters and trying my very best to do that because, I mean, I want to also show fans that these characters are just like us. I mean, whether they have abilities, whether they're even not human, they are just like us. They have 
hopes and dreams, you know, likes, dislikes, all that stuff. They're just as human as we are. So, I mean, that's why I hope to bring to this podcast. So moving on um, to the story of Captain Ken. Now, Captain Ken um, was written, was created by an animator by the name of Osamu Tezuka. It was actually a little bit of a biography on uh, Mr. Tezuka. He was born on March 11, 1928 in Toyonaka, Osaka, Japan. He graduated with a medical degree um, from Osaka University and was originally stated to become a doctor. See, kind of similar to me wanting to go into medicine, but then that fell through. But I mean, he, at least he was probably, he was good at his stuff because he got his medical degree, whereas with me, I wasn't so good at, you know, chemistry. I mean, I got a big fat F in chemistry, so there you have it. But despite getting his degree, unlike yours truly, um, he devoted his time to manga, um, comics, and anime and became one of Japan's beloved anime creators. Um, he has several works that some of you, especially if you're an anime fan, may know. Astro Boy, Phoenix, Jungle Emperor, Blackjack, Buddha, Princess Knight. Um, really amazing works. And he also incorporated his whole star system where he repeatedly um, uses reoccurring characters from several of his works. Um, and like Captain Ken also, which he which actually debuted in the Shohin Weekly Sunday in the 1960s. Which was basically like a Japanese newspaper in the in their kind of version of the funnies. Or not the funnies, but it was more like a comic section. You get what I mean. So the star system was a roster of recurring characters, like I said, in his comics. And notable characters that you see throughout all of his works, or most of his works, I should say, are Lamp, which is the villain. He is also a villain in Captain Ken. Hemeg, um, who in Captain Ken, he plays the Martian mining facility manager, um, which is where they enslave the Martians. And Rock Holmes, um, who actually plays Mamoru, who's one of the main characters in the story. A really important one too and also a random Hayu Tensegui I think it's called it's like a sort of a mini pig that randomly appears in all, almost all of Tezuka's works and just breaks fourth wall and hilariously has this smoke coming out of its snout really funny stuff but I mean I thought you know the star system was really one of the unique things about Tezuka's works and um and basically his animation too i mean i can see some of the disney influences there too though but you know it's mostly japanese um centric so i mean osama tezuka did um he passed away in february 9th of 1989 due to stomach cancer but he was for you forever be immortalized as the godfather of um, anime and a museum was even opened in his honor in february of 1994 in Takarazuka, where he was actually raised as a kid growing up. So, on to Captain Ken. So, Captain Ken is a story that takes place in a futuristic Mars where it's actually colonized by the human beings. And the reason, and what's really interesting thing, what's really interesting is just that there have been several articles for many years I'm talking about Mars becoming a settlement, even in Cowboy Bebop, you know. Mars has become a settlement. It's actually become more Earth, you know, more like Earth. I mean, due to the terraforming. And, you know, I mean, this has been so many articles and so many media talking about Mars becoming a home to, you know, 
human civilization. And you even heard stories about Elon Musk planning on sending a, a ship or a spaceship to Mars and eventually finding a settlement. I mean, really interesting stuff. I mean, again, it just shows, it just comes to show how, it, sh- it comes to show how, it just shows how manga, comics, sorry, I can't kind of talk there. I need to drink a little bit of water, but give me one second. That's better. So anyway, that's how I was saying. It just comes to show how real comics and manga are. I mean, it's as real as it gets. I mean, Mars. Hello. <laughs> so it takes place in the Mars, and here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing about this Mars and Captain Ken. The Mars and Captain Ken is more like the American Old West. I mean, you have saloons, you have people dressing up like cowboys, riding horses or mechanical horses, which I find really amazing. But there's a bit of a dark side too, because um, what it is, is just that the settlement actually started with um, the humans actually settling into Mars. And the first humans to do that were the group that, you know, the group being the Americans, I mean, us Americans actually <laughs> sell into Mars, though, but what happens is that when the Martians come, they're obviously aliens who come in droves greeting the Americans. I mean, they just basically, it's a massacre. The Americans shoot them down and basically more humans come over and, and all the humans start enslaving the Martians and driving them away from their homes and building basically new settlements that mirrored the Old West. So everyone's dressing up like a cowboy. Everyone's actually getting a mechanical horse. I mean, it's a very um, interesting setting. And then on top of that, they establish a, gov- a dictatorial government run by the by a president who um, actually is named um, President Slurry, who actually is the ultimate villain in the story, named Napoleon. So really um, interesting setup here. So. In the beginning, um, Captain Ken um, is seen. It, this actually starts out with a little backstory to how the human settlement of Mars was founded, and um, then it goes over to Mamoru um, Hoshino, Rock Holmes. He's actually going to go pick up someone by the name of Ken, but then it turns out that he's getting surrounded by the Moro tribe, which is a tribe of Martians that want to go after him and kill him because you know obviously he's a human and it's been a human and martian war for several years now due to what happened but luckily um someone saves him and it's this weird kid i mean he's a cowboy who rides a like like you know mamaru who rides a mechanical horse named captain ken and he's like wait a minute so you're ken he's like yep i'm ken because in his mind, he's saying that, okay, there's a guy, there's someone by the name of Ken who's coming over to stay with me and my family. So before you can get any more answers, Captain Ken rides off into the sunset. I mean, pun intended for cow- for cowboy westerns out there. You know I mean? That's what always happens in the cowboy western. So, Mamoru comes home and he actually finds um, a girl in his house who looks exactly like captain ken but her name is ken too so this is the ken that he was actually supposed to go pick up because originally he went out of the ranch i forgot to mention to go pick up ken but then he got sidetracked by the moro tribe so you you can see where this is going so basically ken the girl 
looks exactly like Captain Ken. Her name's spelled actually K-E-N-N, so it's with two N's. And then throughout the story, I mean, it gets the reader guessing, and Tezuka did a good job with that. He gets the reader guessing if these two are in fact the same person, because they seem like they're the same person, because they are several instances where they appear in the same, you know, they appear in the same place. But of course, you know, again, Captain Ken's a boy, Ken's a girl. And even with the um, villain of this, one of the villains of the story um, being Mayor Devon and his son Double, they think that, or at least Mayor Devon thinks that, you know, maybe these two are the same because I've seen them. They look exactly alike. So um, I thought that was a pretty interesting twist. But when the real twist comes, when um, it's discovered that. Ken um, actually is Captain Ken's mother, which is the reason why they look so much alike. And then at first they you thought that maybe he's a brother and sister or maybe they're cousins, but no. Ken is actually Captain Ken's mother. And then later on in, in the story, Captain Ken has to explain to Mamoru, who's initially distrustful of Captain Ken, that of the story of how he got to Earth. And basically he was a time traveler and wanted to save his mom from getting into of you know getting affected by the solar radi- radiation it's a really sad story or sad backstory because you know future ken is wrapped up in bandages her body's deteriorating and ken captain ken whose real name is kenji is just wrecked he doesn't know what to do but then he discovers that you know what maybe i can travel back in time to go save my mom who got you know who was actually an eventual casualty of the human martian war because he learns that his mom got affected by the solar radiation from a solar bomb that the humans actually used against the Martians, and it affected almost everyone, including her. So that's why he travels back in time. Um, he actually uses his horse named Arrow, which I thought was really amazing. It's an amazing character too, because it's a mechanical horse that has like all these capabilities. It heals, it, it can heal Ken when he's hurt, it can actually talk to him. Um, it's used as a voice recorder. I mean, it's like the Batmobile. It's like a cross between Zoro's horse, Tornado, and the Batmobile. Just a really sophisticated mechanical horse. And he even uses a horse to actually fly to Mars, which is really amazing. And, you know, it just. The story ends, though, with um, Ken actually, you know, wanting to. sacrificing himself to save his mother, but he never tells his mother that he is her son from the future he cryptically tells her that you know if you ever have a child um be sure to you know if it you know if you ever have a child if it pleases you name him kenji his real name and his mom's you know his mom is like well what are you talking about like come back like i don't want you to go say you know sacrifice yourself like come on like you're my friend because he actually did befriend her he saved her several times even from you know when the hoshino ranch momaru's home was burning down so um yeah so that's pretty much you know he forms that bomb with his mom and he sees her one last time before he sacrifices himself you know with arrow and a martian friend of his by the name of papillion to save his mother and basically mars because a much deeper meaning is just that he here's another thing too um that's the reason why he um is a pacifist too and he's in a want war between the martians and the humans is because the love of his mother he doesn't want any war because he knew that you know his mom was affected by that 
which brings me to what he really stands for and i'm just gonna go on a limb and just say that he's a you know the love of his mother make pretty much makes captain ken who he is it makes him this amazing character and it makes him more harmonious and peaceful because he wants peace between humans and martians he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't really like violence only he only becomes violent when he has to but he doesn't kill he never he never would hurt a fly i mean he would hurt people but not kill them i mean you see this several times in several of the comics um, i mean comics in several of the scenes that he actually where he's dueling um or where he's fighting especially fighting against a villain lamp which is part, he's part of the tezuka star system and lamp who's usually seen wearing glasses but in this case he's dressed as a gunslinger wearing an eye patch so in in the first bout he captain ken's wounded by um lamp but um in the second in which prompts ken to actually learn the martian's shooting style which is um a shooting style that's only a few people in mars actually know including um larry the reaper i want to say it's larry the reaper and then there's um a pointer dexter i think his name is if i'm not no pointer shepherd that's his name pointer dexter i must be thinking point dexter but pointer shepherd so they know the martian shooting style but actually ken learns it from larry the reaper after killing him you know but unintentionally because ken didn't want it doesn't like to kill but he learns that from um, him and even then he um he tries his very best not to kill anyone i mean he wants to preserve life as much as possible which to me leads um, him to having a sense of justice like he wants justice for all especially for people in the town of hades which actually this i forgot to mention takes place at and you know he's all about forgiveness too i mean he forgives his enemies even particularly he forgave um double which who is actually the son of the villain mayor hades or mayor devon excuse me and there's a scene where um, the mayor's son's about to be killed because the mayor's corrupt and the mayor's son's about to be killed by the Martians. But despite all the crap that this um, troublemaker did, he, Captain Ken actually spares his life and tells the Martians to free him. And since he made friends with the Martians, the Martians actually grant him, you know, grant him his request and free, and free double, which in turn double becomes more becomes more of a redeeming character and in the beginning he's just seen as this bully he beats up mamoru and he humiliates people but ultimately he comes to realize his wrongs and he even turns his dad in and says that you know what dad you need to you know right your wrongs like i did because we've done some bad things we need to own up to it there's just no way out of it no other way around it and, you know, so basically, you know, Captain Ken, you know, actually also tells Momoru to forgive um, Double for what he did. Because Double actually found out that his father's men actually killed Momoru's father during a shootout um, between the Martians and the Hoshino ranchers. So, I mean, he's a very forgiving character and he has respect for other races. I mean, including especially his friendship with Papillion, the Martian is actually seen as a sign that he is very open-minded and he, he's again it goes hand in hand with his harmony and his um, dream for peace between the humans and the martians 
And with Papillon, I think she's seen as, um, she kind of has a crush on Ken. She kind of has some feelings for him, though, but Ken's kind of like, oh. <laughs> I mean, in the sense that he's like, um, because he kind of probably feels for her, too. Like, he's kind of nervous. Like, there's this one scene where he, she actually kind of hugs him, and he's kind of blushing a little bit. He's like, oh, well. <laughs> and Captain Ken got some game there, but anyway. So there's that, too. So, I mean, switching gears here, I mean, kind of going hand in hand with um, what he stands for. I mean, I think Captain Ken actually shares several traits with, um, you know, like Superman because he's always selfless. He wants to do the right thing. Um, He believes in giving people a second chance. And, you know, with Lone Ranger, having a sense of just justice in general. And, of course, having an awesome horse and being a cowboy, a gunslinger, but a pacifistic gunslinger at that. And of course, you know, I mean, oh, another one I want to mention is Jesus Christ, because I mean, Captain Ken also preaches love and forgiveness and, you know, giving people second chances like Superman too, but, and also for the fact that he has love for his mother too. I mean, his relationship with his mother, Captain Ken's relationship with his mother is really similar to Jesus's relationship with the Virgin Mary, his mother. So I thought like, that might have been, you know, I thought that was like, maybe might have been an influence that Tezuka probably might have incorporated, or maybe he didn't, but whether he intended to or not, I mean, I saw, I saw a lot of the parallels between him and Jesus, and just the fact that he especially went to go sacrifice himself to actually save Mars from the solar bomb, which actually goes off, um, not only to save his mother, but to save all of human and Martian kind. Just like Jesus dying on the cross for, you know, many people, like that sacrifice, you know? So I thought it was pretty noble. So right now I'm going to um, go ahead and, and go over to some closing thoughts on Captain Ken. And just two really popped up to me. And one of them was just saying, is Mamoru Ken's father? Because in the end, Mamoru, keep in mind, he knows about Ken being Captain Ken's mother and he even tells Ken like you know I was wondering if you would consider me as you know a possible husband because I mean I'm pretty sure any child you have would be just like Captain Ken and it's interesting that he mentioned that because I kind of wonder if even in the original timeline if Momoru was Captain Ken's father because Captain Ken one time told Momoru that he didn't really know his father he never saw his face um he did mentioned that he was a casualty during the Martian human war and this was after when I think this was around after when Momoru's father died and got shot so I mean that's the thought that came into my head and another thought I had was just that would the Martians and humans really truly coexist I mean it's pretty much assumed that they probably did due to Captain Ken's sacrifice and his heroic deeds along with Papillon because she goes with him too so they sacrifice each other so it was like a a symbol of humans and Martians actually actually working to, together to achieve peace so if Tezuka was especially still alive and he thought about doing maybe a third volume of Captain Ken is split in two volumes like I would like to see that to see like a unity between humans and Martians alike and let's see, so just to wrap it up, um, that's going to do it for this pot debut episode of the Hero and Villain Character Profile Podcast on the Boy Wonder Press. 
um, just don't forget to so, you know don't forget to subscribe to my Twitter at Brian's Comics underscore one and at the Boy Wonder Press. You can also check out my blog at theboywonderpress.blog where um, basically I just blog about um, stuff that I'm going to maybe podcast about. I mean, it's just started right now. Um, so I'm going to be putting a lot of stuff there. I've already blogged about a review of Batman the White Knight. Um, so, I mean, we're going to be doing... I mean, I'm going to be doing a, l- a bit of that here and there. You might see some blogs about comics i read i mean i'm planning to actually read the flash war which i think is going to be a really cool it sounds like a really cool story i'm pretty sure it's more than just about you know who's really the fastest man alive or should i say the fastest flash alive so that's going to be a pretty cool one and in the next episode of this podcast um, of the hero and villain character profile podcast I will be covering and discussing the current and the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest, bestest Robin of all time, Damian Wayne, the son of the Batman and the son of the demon's head, Talia al Ghul. You don't want to miss this. And just remember, people, take care and make life ever so awesome. Peace. What's going on, everyone? It is your host, Brian's Comics Number One, and you're listening to the Flashcast on the podcast on Earth 2. Hey, how's it going, man? Been doing great, man. I mean, I'm almost finished with the move right now. I mean, I got everything all packed up and everything. You know what? My rainbow was the same way, too, because here's a story, man. Like, my sister and I, we were just, like, you know, we were trying to, like, you know, like, mind our own business. And then all of a sudden, the landlord actually gives us an offer saying, you know what? Okay, we, you can actually, you know, you can actually buy, you know, would you like to buy my house? And we're like, you know what? We'll think about it. Sure. So my sister actually does all the talking. But then, um, she jacks up the price, too, for the house. It's like, oh, it's 260 you know, 260 something, you know, 260000 And my sister's like, wait a minute. Okay. You know, she's like, what? And all of a sudden, he says, no, actually, it's 247000 And then, like, then, like, my sister's like, okay, can I get an inspector? Can I get a realtor? And he starts acting really weird. And then all of a sudden, he's like, no, I'm not going to sell the house anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot in store, actually, bro. I mean, I have, like, um, I mean, basically, I, I did the intro. I mean, I did, like, I did stuff we're going to cover. So, we're basically going to cover, like, basically, Nora running 52 times, 52 times, you know, running back in time 52 times and all that, which, to me, is just amazing. I mean, today, I have all the speedsters. Alright, so basically, um, I'm starting, I'm going to start off first of all with the tour, you know, 
DC Cisco finally completing the MetaHuman Cure, but it's just not a problem. It turns out that this cure may be complete, but even though it's injecting into cicada, it would probably take up to like 29 days for it to take effect in this pituitary gland, according to Caitlin. So Sherlock comes up with this way where this idea to actually use a speed force to, to actually speed up, um, speed up the cure's effectiveness. So then they um, recruit Barry to actually go through with this. And Nora kind of wants to come along though, but then Barry's just like, nah, I'll go ahead and do it. Don't even worry about it. So basically, um, we go on to... So basically, you know how I feel about the cure. Um, I have a bad feeling about the cure. If you, if you listen to my segment, um, and basically how I feel about the cure is just that I have a funny feeling that the kid is going to actually use it for his own, you know, his own agenda. Or if it's not Cicada, his, his ally, Dr. Ambers, is going to use it. And the reason why I say it, because, you know, she may, she may be, you know, kind of a villain on Cicada's side. But the crazy thing is, she's, a, she's still a doctor, and doctors have a Hippocratic oath to not cure or harm life. It's actually to preserve life. So I can definitely see her using that and her hatred for metals to actually cure metals. That way she doesn't have to do, like, the, the killing. You know, she would just be like, you know, at the very least, I, I don't like metals so bad as a doctor. I'm going to cure her this disease. I can see her and Cicada butting heads on that.
we covered that now. And one thing I really want to, I kind of wanted to cover, which is um, funny, is the Cisco date. Um, we have, like, you know, with Cisco, I mean, he, ha- he starts off with a book of Ralph, and Ralph is trying to tell him, like, how to really get this, win this girl's heart by showing her pics, by showing him pictures, and Cisco's just like, wait a minute, you stalked her, right? And he's just like, well, it's not really stalking, this is researching. After all, Ralph's a good detective, so, I mean, he does his work, especially when it involves women. And, you know, I, I, I like to call this segment the Council of Cisco's. Because you, you see, you know, different versions of Cisco, like business executive Cisco, which we kind of saw in Flashpoint when he was, like, owning, like, remote industries. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then you have gym, like, gym rat Cisco, and then you have fashion... You know, fashionista Cisco, you have like all these Cisco's and the fashion Cisco kind of reminded me of like what Cisco would probably be like if he was in Earth 38, Supergirl's Earth. It's the way he was dressed.
about this guy, I mean, she finds the fact that he was talking so much about science really fascinating, and that, that's all that Cisco really needed. And, you know, it really reminded me of this one scene, too, where Cisco told Nora to kind of give her a pep talk, saying that, you know, the reason why we fail, I think, is because we're afraid of failing. I think he said something like that. And that he was like, you know what, I'm just going to have to be me at this point. You know, I mean, whether she likes, likes it or not, I mean, I'm, I have no problems being me. I mean, shit, that's just what it is. And I thought that was a really cool lesson for, you know, Nora to learn, too, just by what it means to, like, make mistakes and learn from them. Everything. You know, I mean, he probably knows even more than Barry. And 
me. So, I mean, I think that's going to be another interesting thing for Betty to learn, though. But then again, I mean, who knows what consequences it has? It could even have far worse consequences than just running back in time and changing something in history. Because, like, I think, too, I remember, you know, mentioning, you know, I also, I also mentioned Dr. Hill how, um, you remember the Fixed Point in Times, right? Where we kind of talked about that. Um, I mean, it wasn't on the podcast exactly, though, but we did have a little conversation about how Fixed Point in Times can't really be altered because if they are, you know, something definitely changes. Like, we have another flashpoint, you know? So there, there's a bit of that, too. So, I mean, just imagine if the enlightenment, the enlightenment, I mean, as we saw in the last season, I mean, if everything was, if Nora didn't actually hit that, um, you know, she didn't really hit the satellite that was crashing down, I mean, do you think, um, obviously David Hirsch would have been, you know, as Sherlock mentioned, David Hirsch would have been sick of it, so I think she kind of knew what she was doing, in a sense. Superman told him to hit this tale about 
how Nightwing was like this protective Krypton. And then so that's what Dick Grayson was inspired. Yeah, so I mean, I thought it was pretty cool, you know what I mean? And that, but Superman, he's, I mean, with him, I mean, he's obviously kind of like a Jesus figure. He's kind of like a god, but the cool thing about Superman is just that he doesn't use that. He doesn't really act like a god. He, he tries to be more human, and he desires to be more human. But sometimes it's like, you know, well, okay, Supes, but be careful what you wish for, because sometimes, like, yeah, if you were part of seeing Smallville, your powers would be stripped away, and then you wouldn't be able to help people. So he knows he has that, he has, like, this duty to actually save people, use his powers to help others. And that's what I really love about him, you know? That he uses his powers to actually be a service to people, to be a servant of the people. Whereas with Lex Luthor, he's probably like, you know, well, I would, I would have used those powers to, you know, you know, for my own needs and, like, you know, to gain more power. Now, if Lex Luthor was superpowered, that'd be pretty scary. Oh, yeah, back to the Flash. I mean... Now, with Nora running back 52 times, I mean, to try to save her loved ones with next Tuesday, next Tuesday, next Tuesday, <laughs> you know, um, at this point, I probably would have, instead of calling it Flashpoint for her, I would have called it Excess Point. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she just probably jacked up the timeline somehow, I mean, if it's not through the people closest to her, it might be something else. Maybe she might, maybe it might just cause a crisis that she was trying to avoid. You know, and it would be pretty interesting to, to see that development, that's the case. And with this season, like, with her running back 15 times, we see Iris, Ralph, Sherlock, and Cecile end up getting caught. And as a result, we see Caitlin, Ralph, Cisco, Cecile end up getting killed by Cicada's um, little Thunderbolt blade. So it doesn't take, it's not until when Cisco arrives, um, he sees all versions of, of the council of Cisco's. He's like, wait a minute, I feel like I've been here before. And then that's when he talks to Nora and says, like, you know, it's not the first time I've had myself dying. And that's when they discover, like, okay, you ran back in time, didn't you? And Nora, like a kid with her hand caught in the cookie jar, is like, well, yeah, I did. So they come up with this plan to beat Cicada. And Sherlock actually, in, in like any typical Wells, I mean, every Flash has got to have a Wells, I feel. <laughs> you know? Like, any typical Wells comes up with a really brilliant plan to actually catch the villain. And, you know, and I think it was a well-thought-out plan, and this is what actually, you know, gets the kid beaten. Um, and, long story short, I mean, even Iris said, like, you know, I told you we'll beat you, and they pretty much did. At that point, that's a battle won. You know? Yeah, and then it's like, but I think too, um, with this victory came a cost, and I think the consequence for Nora is just that right now, Sherlock has his mind off his girlfriend that he met on Earth One, and he's going to focus more on finding about, finding more about Nora's secret. He's getting close, if you see me in the episode, and you can just see that grin on his face, you know, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? And, you know, it's like, she's probably gonna, you know, probably when Barry finds out, I mean, I don't know if she'll get a whooping, though, but hey. <laughs> you know, but she's, she's gonna, she's gonna, and, you know, no, she's probably gonna get in trouble, and she has that, you know, she always bites her little lip every time she does, does something wrong. 
still going through just fine. I mean, oh yeah, everything's working.
And welcome to the Flashcast on the podcast on Earth 2. I am your host, Brian's Comics Number 1. I mean, been very busy today. I mean, I've been doing a lot of packing for the move to my new house. Um, we're going to, um, you're going to actually see a whole lot of pictures of, um, some pictures of it, not a whole lot, but you can maybe see a picture or two of it. I mean, it's going to have a really nice backdrop and, you know, I mean, you're going to, you're going to probably see some, you know, you're going to probably see some pics and maybe I might post a video or two about it as well when I do my other podcasts and, Actually, speaking of, you know, and the Flashcast as well. Speaking of um, the podcast, um, I'm actually been doing a whole lot of reading on Damian Wayne and just also his whole backstory. I mean, doing a lot of research. I mean, it's been a really fun project, um, especially when I find the time to do it. I mean, since I work in another job, but I find a time to do all these things and it's just really fun. I mean, it keeps my blood flowing, but also just because it's really fun. And so it's going to be a really exciting episode on Damian Wayne and just going through who this amazing character is. I mean, he's one of my favorite Robins, personally. I mean, I can really relate to him. So, I mean, that's going to be a really cool episode. So, I mean, we're going to have Jay on the line in just a couple, in just a minute. Um, and we're going to be covering a whole lot about the review on the cause of an excess for the Flashcast. And before we do all, and actually before you know, I go over what we're going to cover, I just wanted to give you this quote um, that relates so well to this episode. And it goes like this. Oh yes, the past can hurt, but the way I see it, you can either run from it or learn from it. Rafiki from The Lion King. And just imagine if Rafiki was in The Flash. I mean, you could just imagine him this, you know, whacking, you know, Nora on the, on the head or even, even maybe even burying but I can definitely see him like kind of like telling Nora, like, you know, hey, you know, I mean, you have to, you know, you have to move on from, you know, the stuff that happened. You can't keep on running and going back to fix things. I mean, I thought, you know, I mean, I thought that was a really interesting quote. I mean, and how it relates to this episode, because, I mean, what we're going to cover, Jay and I, is just the fact that Nora brilliantly, I would say, and, and just amazingly, too, ran back 52 times out of all the speedsters in the history of the flash i mean you're talking speedsters like fawn who ironically is actually mentoring this you know young cat you know jay garrick zoom wally you know barry and i think wally has last place when it comes to the speedsters, speedsters who ran back and you know who ran back in time the most so I think it would be interesting if we saw Rafiki kind of talk to Nora, toss it some, I mean, really talk some sense into this um, young, you know, this young speedster. I mean, it'd be a really funny scene. So um, Jay and I are going to be covering, on the review, we're going to be covering the metahuman cure. We're also going to be covering Nora's dilemma and the lesson that she had to learn after running back in so many times. We're also going to cover Cisco's date and then also somewhat of Thon's plans and also Sherlock cracking the code. We're going to cover a whole lot on this episode. Um, I'll have him on the line pretty soon when, you know, because I mean, he's from Earth 16. I'm from, I mean, he, <laughs> Earth 16. My bad. I'm from Earth 16. I live on my, I live on this earth, but he's from Earth too. So we kind of have to set up that whole communication since we're in different Earths, even though we're on the same, we're in the same space but we're vibrating at different vibrations you see what i'm saying that's how the the whole multiverse works little multiverse lingo there been learning a lot too from well i've been i learned a whole lot since watching the flash from martin stein and all that then in the end i'm gonna go through some flash thoughts and also 
got a little closing and a little small review on the next episode being Earth 2. I mean, being... Pfft, sorry about that. Kind of mumbling, but the, the next episode being King Shark versus Gorilla Grodd. Should be a real slobber knocker. So you definitely don't want to miss this. Um, so after this, after the um, short break, we're going to... I'm going to be talking to Jay about the um, about the cause and excess. You don't want to miss this. <laughs> 